This episode is a recording of a panel streamed on the Twitch channel of the RPG Academy. Keep an eye on our website if you would like to follow one of them live and contribute to their content via the chat room. It's a beautiful sunny day here in London. The weather is slightly colder, meaning Londoners have stopped complaining about the weather being too hot. But it's not cold enough quite yet, so Londoners would start complaining about how cold it is. I am joined by two of the best game designers we have here between the channel and the pond, Mr. Chris Taylor and Mr. Grantowit. Could you introduce yourself to our audience? Should we introduce each other? Oh Just yeah, yourself, nice. <laughs> this is this is Christopher Taylor. He's the tallest game designer I know, mm-hmm. and one of the best. He's written Unbound, Spire, Jason Statham's Big Vacation, many other wonderful games. And he makes a he makes a mean bean soup. I do, I do. And Grant Hart is the writer of most one page RPGs. <laughs> I'm not going to say quality, but by like, volume, <laughs> like by sheer weight. Um, and things like Goblin Quest, Warrior Poet, One Last Job, and too many other games to literally name. I don't know if it's a story you already told somewhere, but how did the the two of you meet? <laughs> we were at uni. Yeah, we were at uni together. Uh, we were at uni together, and uh, I was playing Warhammer against a third party against someone else. And Chris, in again, Chris is six foot eight, as I mentioned, loomed up behind me. And I was like, and I was this 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 wide-eyed, impressionable eighteen-year-old. I was like, oh hi hi, what what army do you play? And he's like, oh no, I just like to watch. And that was that was <laughs> pretty. Time you make that sound creepier. I love it. I know, right? I'm, I'm going to have you like like killing a, like a dog or something, something like, like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or like maybe like you suck up a load of fish eggs. But um, that's how we met, and we hit it off. Chris was pretty much the first uh, GM I ever had when I went to university. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he taught me a great deal, like a wise senpai. Some sort of sensei. Mm. Great. Today we are here to talk about heart. And uh, I, I'm, pr- I'm, I'm very proud to be one of the least knowledgeable podcasters and streamers in the hobby. <laughs> <laughs> I never played Spire, Strata, and I do very little Kickstarter campaigns. What can you tell us about heart? <laughs> okay so, yeah go on go on go. okay uh, Spire uh, so uh, Heart is set in the same world as Spire it's using the same mechanics or uh, an evolution of the same mechanics that we used in Spire to tell different stories uh, those of you who are fans of Spire uh, will know that the Heart is a sort of nightmare infinite unreality under city underneath the, underneath the Spire and for those of you who aren't aware of Spire that's what it is we've set a whole game in the heart. And the idea is that you are obsessed with something dangerous and probably not very good for your health. And you're exploring deep into the city beneath to try and find it. And it's going to kill you. It's a, it's a story game dungeon crawl. I think it's probably the best way we can describe it. Yeah, that's pretty bang on. It's, it's weird body horror and insane nonsense underground. Yeah, we got to take all of the ideas we've had for weird monsters and um, modern updates and interpretations of myths and stuff and just push them all in one big game. Basically, Spire didn't come the best year. There were no there were no monsters. And that's different for Heart. We got to write up some monsters, which is very nice, because we were jonesing 
to write <laughs> them up as key monsters. Uh, yeah, as, as the adversaries chapter will show, I clearly had like at least twenty five monsters just <clears throat> trying to get out, and we've written them down now. Sounds like it's a very cool page turner if you would like to just browse uh, through the hard book and even read it, even if you don't have the opportunity to to play it, is it? Yeah, well, that's that's one of the, the nice things about Spire as a book. Like, it was, it was genuinely entertaining to just read, even if you never intended to play it. Like, it had great art from Adrian Stone, and we rewrote the entire thing as a sort of the first third of all the the information you need. Like it's all this scaffolding and all these plot hooks to lead you in to to take you on these weird stories, but not the ends of any of the stories. So you filled that in as as you played, um, and we want to do exactly the same with Heart. We want that weird horror story structure, and then to see what you make of the game. Mm. We we realised uh, so. There's been this. There's been quite a quite enthusiastic community risen up around spire um and it's been really brilliant to see them take that take the world which we which we established then take put their own ideas on top of it and it's really exciting to see people's own versions of spire and so when we were writing heart we expressly designed it to be malleable and changeable so there's no canonical map for spire there's no canonical for, for heart there's no canonical version there is uh, each each campaign comes with a blank map, and you pick out landmarks and connections how you want to, and build it around your players coming in. Uh, which, uh, on one hand, helps us represent the fact that it's, it's it's forever changing; it's always shifting around. And when you go down one month, it might be different from the from the next month. But also from a game mechanics point of view, it gives us a it gives us a literal reason for the GM to make everything up as they go along, which is quite nice, I think. Mm. So, since you are two commercially minded professionals, I would assume you don't need to have played Spire to be able to play Heart, but is there value to have played Spire before Heart, or do the two feed each other? Can you jump between one to another? Sort of, um, is the best way of putting that. So, Spire and Heart will act as like uh, law source books for each other. They, they happen in the same world. They're like right next to each other, geographically speaking. Um, but the rules of heart are specific to heart. Uh, Spire itself is a huge social game about rebellion and it's urban. And if we'd have taken exactly the same set of rules and just dumped them in a, in a dungeon setting, it would have fallen apart. They're not for that. Mm-hmm. So the heart rules are an evolution of those rules. They're much more focused on dungeon crawling and exploration and they're a little bit more combat focused so the characters from spire cannot immediately go straight into heart they're, we are, they're, all, they're all set up for social encounters not surviving in this horrible place as one of the stretch goals in the kickstarter which is coming out in oh, what is it god nine, nine days. days nine days <laughs> in mm-hmm. coming out in nine days which we're slightly nervous about because you know it's a, it's a big deal uh, the, I think one of the I think the first stretch goal we're going to have is we'll write a conversion guide for uh, converting Spire characters to Heart. We've done a couple of them so far, and they work. Like it's it's an easy enough transition to make. The interesting thing we noticed is they suck. <laughs> like they're really bad at doing the stuff in the Heart because their 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 character powers are their abilities are very social and very focused around urban stuff. Uh, as opposed to, say, surviving while you're trying to get through one cursed train line to another. 
So we are going to have a conversion guide, but it is intended as a completely standalone product. You do not need to know what's going on with Spire and the overall world of our games to understand or get or, or play hard. I will say we've taken a lot of the ideas that we established in Spire and pushed them a little bit further, and we've explored a little bit. So, for example, um, uh, one of the popular classes in Spire was the Vermissian Sage, who is a wizard who lives in uh, interdimensional train hell and they use that to cast their spells and we've, take, we've taken them and we've gone okay so what if we take those and take them out of this city at this urban setting and push them down into this frontier setting and we have the Vermissian knight who wears sort of train armor and has experimental technology and is much more combat focused and much more reliable uh, than the flitty Vermissian sage uh, we've got uh, uh, blood witches from Black Magic are back as a core class, as are Deep Apiarists, uh, people who replace all of their organs with, with with waxen copies made by bees to fight crime. We've we've taken like we've extrapolated on the ideas and, and continued down with them to to hopefully make something which which fans of Spire people who who are engaged with our with our settings will appreciate, but it doesn't just read like Spire fanfic or a spin off. So you describe this as a storytelling dungeon crawl. Usually dungeon crawl traditionally is this kind of a part of management, tactical, there's concepts like attrition. Are these concepts part of uh, heart or do you move away with more storytelling things or do you balance the two? Well, we very much like lean into them, honestly, but shift them towards a more narrative position. So in in the resistance system that feels both Spire and Heart, you've got resistances. And in Heart, it was like your reputation, uh, sorry, in Spire, it was like your reputation, uh, blood, which was your essentially hit points, your mental state, all that sort of things. And in Heart, they've changed slightly. So there's there's blood, which is your physical state, there's mind, which is your mental state, echo, which is how much the heart itself is is affecting and infecting you. Mm. Um, we also have supplies, uh, which is your stores of um, lamp fuel, your food, all of that sort of thing. So you can you can take damage to your supplies by using them um, and by mishaps like water getting into your food and ruining it, things like that. And we also have fortune, which is uh, essentially luck. Mm. It's it's how lucky you're feeling right now. Like, did you actually dodge that boulder or did you get hit by it? It's up to you kind of in a way because you can take fortune fortune damage and like, cool, you dodged it, but your luck's starting to run out. It's getting a bit thin now. You're probably going to get ambushed at some point. You're probably going to take a wrong turn, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and with the, with the system, you've got, as you take damage, you check for fallout. And fallout shifts the abstract form of stress where things are nearly happening to you, almost there, and fallout makes it solid and real. So in um, supplies fallout, one of the things is you've you've just run out of lamp fuel, so everything around you goes dark. Like now things can ambush you very quickly. Um, so rather than tracking, I have three points of lamp fuel left, you just keep taking damage to your supplies, and you know that your supplies are getting low, and then every, all of a sudden everything happens, and there's just this this like huge event around it. And the idea is to kind of make, kind of make taking damage exciting. Hmm. Like make it, make, make it like fuel a new scene, make it feel a little bit like leveling up and getting a new power in some instances. <laughs> <laughs> some of the fallout actually gives you abilities mm. you permanently. <laughs> so 
Yep, go ahead. Sorry. Basically, what we tried to do is take the eye, take what we view as the fun bit of of like. Uh, we, so we were on the RPG Academy last night. We were chatting to uh, to Tom, and he was saying how he really loves the idea of um, OSR dungeon crawls, but actually the practice of playing them is quite frustrating because you have to go through all of that stuff. And what we tried to do with this is just get to the get to the bit where it gets exciting. So not the bit where you have to write down your torture. It's not the bit where you have to say, oh, we've walked this far and have eaten this many rations. But it's a game which is focused towards, oh, cool, you're starving. Cool, it's dark. Cool, you've, lost, you've run out of rope. Uh, you're injured. You're, you've attracted a cult. Um, everyone thinks you're weird now. And having all of these problems, which the character is forced to role play with, rather than, I suppose, fine grade representing those up front. It's quite funny to hear you describe this because... Um I'm an avid listener of uh, Hearty Dice Friend, your podcast show. <laughs> oh, my apologies. <laughs> and uh, it's quite cool because in Hearty Dice Friend, you express sometimes strong opinions regarding uh, a number of tropes of Dungeons & Dragons, which I share uh, regarding leveling up, uh, amassing richness, and all oh, you get hurt. And it's really cool rather than, well, Often uh, we hear people complain about this and that, but you are building up your answer to to your criticism of of something which, at the same time, you truly love, which is the John Crawl. I suppose yeah, like, I, I grew up with I grew up with proper like old timey dungeon crawls. Like I first learned on second edition, and I didn't know any better. I didn't know that you could actually play fun games. You know, uh, <laughs> it was it was a grind, and it was. It was it was me learning how to play and what games were, and there's the, I, every now and again I have this huge burst of nostalgia that I really want to play a dungeon crawl, and then I I, I go to my shelf and I drag out like the I had like dungeon crawl classics off the shelf. I'm like, yeah, we're going to dungeon crawl, and I look at it and go, oh, do I really have to make a character in this? Oh, it's going to take a while. Oh, dear. got to make four characters, yeah, each. and they're all going to die anyway, hmm. um, and like. None of the stuff in a game like that, to me at least, prompts scenes. Mm. It, a, a lot of OSR games, not all, I definitely stress not all, um, you are reactive as a player. You're, you, you sit there passive for a while, you listen to the DM talk about a scene, and then you go, okay, so there's, there's probably a secret door in here because they said this, I have that skill, I'll make that check. Whereas we like to push players and their characters into a similar role to the dm so you you can forge scenes yourself as a player you can say i want to see this i think this is going to be cool and you can help the gm narrate stuff you can push stuff in by dint of the rules in fact uh one of the one of the so the core mechanic we have uh inspire the way leveled up was by um changing the city in some way, because it was a very much a game about the city. And in Heart, we have a bit more, there's a bit more in-depth level of advancing. So there's uh, something called callings, and every character is made up of a class and a calling. Classes like like fighter, rogue, that sort of thing, you know. Uh, but we have cool ones because we're special. And the calling is the reason why you've come down here. So we will look at things like. Um, obsession with learning forbidden knowledge or you've been fought you've been blackmailed down here that sort of thing each of those uh, callings comes with i think at present 32 beats of different of different values i yeah, think it's 32, 32 isn't it? yeah 32 beats maybe more of of different uh, different values as so there's, there's minor major and zenith and they are uh, these are 
they're like Xbox achievements, which isn't really the way, it's, it's the best way I can describe them. The quickest shorthand, yeah. It's the quickest shorthand. But uh, so they're like, they're like um, character goals, but your character doesn't necessarily want them to happen to them. So some of them might be establish a friendly relationship with an NPC. And some of them might be betray that NPC you made friends with and uh, take take uh, loads of mind stress and go mad or be uh, abandoned in the heart for at least a day or more. And so there's these things which your character doesn't want to happen, but we want, but which we want to see happen to your character. And at the start of every session, the players pick out two of those. Uh, and I think like, as you as you get into the system, GMs will be encouraged, and uh, GMs and players will be encouraged to make up their own ones to, to fit in. But for your first time round, you pick out two of these. You tell the GM what you want to happen in the session, and then because the heart is this weird metaphysical place that that builds that works off your dreams, it will physically build itself in response to what you want in fiction and out of fiction because the GM is building the game for you. And one thing which Chris and I, well, one thing which I learned from Chris uh, at uh, at his knee, as a wise sensei in the uh, in the bamboo forest of East Anglia, was that he hated doing prep. Oh, I hate he hated it. preparing for games. It's terrible. Oh, Bad idea. Work? Not having that. Yeah, the closest Chris will come to doing prep is buying three different pre-written adventures and then and then and then taking different things from each. Mm. I think that's about as far as you go. But yeah, we have a lot of pre-written adventures. I quite like them. They're a nice read. Yeah. Not going to play through them though. No, <laughs> I'm going to take. This organization, just put that in mind, yeah. And so we write games with that in mind. We write games that, that they're supposed to be hacked, that they're supposed to be messed up and changed around, but also they're not supposed to have, you're not supposed to spend too much time preparing because the players don't, why should you? You know, they just turn up and they're like, oh, I'm an elf, entertain me. So come over here, drinking all your wine. Yeah, eat, eating our chips, what? rubbish. So we basically give the players homework which they do at the start of the session, which is, what do you want to happen in this week's session, folks? And then they tell you, and then when they do that, they advance. And so you have this rhythm. Uh, there's this character arc built into the characters. Uh, if they want to get more powerful, they have to act in accordance with their calling, which pushes stories forward and sort of gets into this homogenous storytelling environment. And it's in the narrative soup. Interesting. When I give homework to my players, usually... I I put it at the back rather at the front of the session. I ask them to do a a write up or something like that, and I reward them with experience points. But I like the idea of having that upfront at the game session. Uh, you this way the, yeah. the motivation is is even stronger. I mean, if you if, if you are the sort of person that really enjoys prep and you actually actually want to do a load of prep, more power to you. I'm not going to do it. Um, it. The system will work can, if you do prep. Yeah, you can do it at the end. So that you've then got until next session to think, okay, so that I've got all of these story beats I need to hit. What can I do? Which NPCs have I already thought of that might fit that? And the, the players are there to help you as well. Like there's, we're not dealing with antagonistic GMs. Hmm. Um, so if you if you meet an NPC, say there's a there's a, a stronghold and the leader of the stronghold is there, and the player has a beat, meet an MP, you know, deal with an NPC that hates you. It's fully within the player and the GM's rights to go, is the leader of this of this stronghold the person who hates me? And everybody goes, yes, let's do that's that. Brilliant. That's much better we'll, than what I'm we'll about the backstory in a minute. We'll do the awkward mm. introductions and then see why they hate you. Let's let's get into this. That sounds fun. Mm. So you cool. don't need to do that prep, but if you want to, go nuts. 
We haven't even we you, you briefly mentioned we didn't delve into the the thing which actually was presented as to me as the the big big thing about heart, which is its tone. Uh, I've heard it's especially dark. It involves body horror, the things like that. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about that specifically? Uh, we have a slight agreement in that Grant does the, the body horror okay. explanation. Um, we are both really interested in body horror. Um, I, I, I personally, it's my, it's my favorite uh, role-playing horror technique. It's really hard to build, and this, this is a, this is as much of a, um, a thing which we're a fan of, but also an effort to make a game which, which is easy to run. So by choosing body horror, everyone's got a body. Pretty much. So everyone can relate to having it messed with in some unpleasant way. Um, like most of us have been injured. We might have broken an arm or, uh, you know, stubbed a toe very badly. Um, there's all sorts of horrible things that can happen to your body um, just through the course of being alive. And when you go into body horror, it's this really... My, my, my top tip for all GMs is if you ever have zombies in the game, have them grab at the player's face and then just, just, just put, their, put their thumb in the player's mouth. In the character's mouth. Not the player. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, probably a, that's probably a line you don't want to cross at your table. Yeah. <laughs> unless, uh, unless, it's, unless everybody's cool with that. Like, if they're cool with that, then like, that's a cool game. But um, not one that I want to be in. But yeah, um, just um, hook, uh, ha- have the zombie hook their thumb inside and throw the car around. And it's instantly horrible. No one likes having things put in their mouth. It's gross. And so, for all these reasons and more, um, we thought we thought like by, by going down the body horror route, it's a really simple way of establishing that tone. It's very hard to have existential horror, although there is existential horror in heart. It's very hard to have existential horror or cosmic horror or that sort of creeping dread you get from thriller or, or like slasher films in a role playing game because you can continually break the pace of the game because we're all just sitting around, we're having fun, we're talking, and then someone will make a joke about what's happening and that punctures the atmosphere. And that's absolutely fine. We're not professionals, most of us. We are, the the majority of role-playing games are played to be enjoyed just around the table. And so the great thing about body horror is someone can make a joke about something that's going on and then you can instantly say, cool, all right, so the guy you're talking to, he he wrenches back his head and this horrible spur of bone starts growing out of his growing out of his neck and then right angles towards you and buries in between your shoulder blades. You're going to feel it scraping along your shoulder blades. What do you do? And you can just go to that. And it's, it's funny and gross. And I really like that. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot easier to maintain that weird horror. And like, we do try and get that, as Grant said, the existential and the dread in there as well. Um, but one of the things we found, we really enjoyed writing. We started doing it in um, unbound, a sort of tactical, mm. Uh, pulp action game we did. Um, there was a power in that called the Parasitic, where you were you were filled with this like alien entity, and you could exude weird like flesh bone needles and stuff like that. And we're like, this is this is probably the most fun power in the game. Mm. One day we'll write a game just about this stuff. It's like the, the the first time you die, you do not die. Instead, you become a horrible fleshy cocoon, and within ten minutes, you emerge taller and better looking from a cavity in, in your own chest. And I was just, I was like, yeah, that's really, really uncanny and strange. We want to mess with that. And Hart gave us the opportunity to do that. We've been quite, I've been quite careful about how we do um, mutation and about about how we use the words like like we use words like corruption or um, the idea that the heart is. 
a negative influence on people. I was really inspired by the film Annihilation uh, and, well, actually the book Annihilation and more later the film. Uh, but the idea that the, 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 the zone, the environment in that isn't malevolent, it just exists. It's like radiation in that way. And radiation is not necessarily a... Radiation is not a, 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 an evil force. It just happens to harm human bodies in that way. And when, I, when I'm writing the mutations in this, I don't want to have like, oh, a wacky third arm, or you've got a tail, or you're a swarm of moths or something. I want to have it far more <sighs> meaty, I guess, Chris. How do you describe it? I guess meaty is the right word. Yeah, unsettling, but also deeply personal. Mm. Um, because one of the one of the, the sort of themes that we wanted to explore with Heart and is should be a theme of a lot of dungeon delving things is that of sort of of colonialism of going into a place that isn't yours and nicking its treasures. Mm. And what if that place didn't necessarily defend itself, but tried to change itself dependent on you being there? Mm. And it didn't understand the concepts of good and evil. It just did what it knows, and what it knows is how to reshape bone, meat, and stone. Mm. And so it does that. And it gets inside you in, 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 in a very strange way. Um, and it does, again, it's not necessarily bad. It's not necessarily good. But it keyed perfectly into that darker tone that taken from things like Annihilation, Bloodborne, Darkest Dungeon, those sorts of touchstones. Really, let's go rampant with it, honestly. <laughs> we were heavily inspired by Bloodborne as well. Uh, the one of the things which I really like about about the about the mythos of Bloodborne is how normally um, when because it because it deals with cosmic horror, it doesn't tell you it's dealing with cosmic horror until quite late on in the game. It's quite it plays it quite coy. But the thing which I always really like about it is it's through it's told through relatable personalities. It's told through this person's desire to understand the cosmos or this god's dream to try and like it's all about wants and it's all about um desires and obsession and it happens to be about weird moon monsters and we were like oh we'll have that which is why there's a moon under the spire <laughs> nice <laughs> does it have phases uh it has pulses the, the heart the, the heart has pulses so it has like seasons but the seasons might be ghosts or constriction that sort of thing I know uh, the moon underneath is not a face. It is just always on all the time. What do you? I mean, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, enforce that tone uh, through the game. Is it is it in the description of the setting, and then it's up to the game master and the players to to embrace it, or are there? The, do you think the the rule system itself encourages really to to match that tone of uh, body horror and darkness? I'd, I'd like to think that system does i mean like it was it was a hope of ours that it did when we were designing it the fallout um, certainly does the fallout certainly does um and the ways that your character can die and things like that do um but also a lot of the a lot of the powers are innately horrible mm. a lot of the characters honestly start off as innately horrible people um and it's up to the player to essentially redeem them i mean one of the callings you could be one of the backgrounds is penitent which is you've committed a great crime you know, you've you've betrayed your order. Um, you've you've fled from a battle. Anything like that, whatever the the crime is, um, and it's a redemption story arc. But it could be a redemption story arc of a witch who pulls the blood out of people through the nose on a whim. Mm. Yeah, and or, you know, uh, the the redemption arc of a priest of predatory capitalism. 
I think it's, I think like in terms of forcing that, the fallout does the sense that you're always taking stress. You're always on the back foot. Um, and also it's, it's much harder to remove stress now than it was in heart where you've like, we've codified that down. And so there's far fewer ways in which you can do that. Cause we wanted that to be more about more, more that the game is about. Um, I think like, uh, it's it's also largely up to you and that you t- to you and the players like you could run it as a fairly standard dungeon crawl and have it as like uncanny magic echo the echo like the heart it, it could just be your normal sort of interdimensional strangeness as yeah, it were rather than anything and stuff and yeah whenever we say teeth just assume that we said uh, not missile. teeth yeah there you go yeah. <laughs> So we don't we don't necessarily enforce it, but I think we do we do certainly encourage it, and the rules very heavily tilt towards it. I got a report from a, a game with you, Grant, at Gen Con, uh, demonstrating heart. Yeah, I got my informant. Mm-hmm. Uh, hello, by the way, to Amelia and Aaron. Oh, hey, hey <laughs> character yeah, cool. creation podcast. Uh, and uh, yeah, they were telling us that uh, things took a slightly lighter turn from the beginning. What they conceive a, a casino as their haven. Mm. So one of the things which we're experimenting with um, is player characters, uh, the, the players at the start of the game making their own landmark, making their own place where the, where the players are, player characters are. Um, Chris uh, spearheaded this with Marsh Hallow, I think, which is the place which is sort of built on St. Detritus. Yeah, it's like if you imagine churches built on top of other crumbling churches and compacting it down. So it's just like this incredibly weird, holy place. Sounds like a regular church to me. But. Yeah, like like that, but but you've got like powdered saints in there as well, just to make it double holy. And so we uh, in the in the home playtest groups or with groups that we now have experience with Spire or, or playing with us, we've asked them to come up with come up with um, havens for their for their characters for the and to sort of act as a base of operations. So it, so it, it's more exciting if, if you're defending something you've built yourself. Um, at Gen Con, normally, if people didn't know Spire too well, they didn't know or hadn't like read the playtest for Heart, we just ran through a fairly a fairly standard go and get the thing and bring it back somewhere else adventure. But with Amelia uh, and that group, they were all fans of Spire. I knew pretty much all of them, if not by name, then by reputation. And so it was perfectly fine to say, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom. You and you guide the group through making up a place. Just go. It's a weird dungeon place. Go. And because Heart is very flexible, I came back from the bathroom and they were like, okay, so it's an, infi- it's an infinite casino. All right, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's and, go with that, yeah. And, like, and so we took that and then we, and then we managed to sort of stitch it into the, into the makeup of, the, of the, the rest of the Heart and the rest of the setting. And so there, there were cults who mentioned the book who were trying to break into the casino to deliberately lose so they could build up karmic credit and various things like that. Hello. <laughs> Hello. And, um, Hello. There's a little fellow for the people who will be listening to this on the, the podcast feed instead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a child <laughs> is here. Um, so it took a light turn because that was the game they were interested in playing. And I think that there's always going to be a divide between the between the um, the game that's in the book and the game that's at the table. Uh, because we can write as big and as bold and as grim as we, ro- as, as we want. 
in the book, but it's always going to be filtered through a GM and the players. And we're, we're all human. We're all like, we all, we all make jokes to try and get around um, nervousness or to get around tension. And so there is like, there was plenty of grossness. Someone's arm grew uh, legs and ran off. Uh, <laughs> That's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. And it was holding the objective. Um, you know, um, there were there were various people absolutely mashed up by eldritch horrors. And it was really cool. Uh, uh, the the priest uh, the priest exploded. It was really exciting. It was a great game, um, and it did take a lighter turn. And I think that that's inevitable um, when you when you make contact with a group of people, you're going to come back to comedy. You're, you're going to come back to things which are not necessarily laugh out loud funny, but are. Enjoyable, yeah, yeah. Tension breaking in that way, and uh, improv, I think, has a natural tendency to settle towards uh, settle towards comedy because of the, absurd, the, the absurdity of it. And so, yes, it is possible to make it lighter. I did. I, I tend to, because uh, that's the way I like to run my games. I mean, you've seen sexy battle wizards, you've seen um, honey heist. I I struggle with very serious games, so I think do as I say, not as I do. I, I tend to make my games a lot a lot of comedy in the beginning and then slowly get worse <laughs> and worse as it goes on and just do it as their own. Mm. But it was quite dark. I think, I'm not sure if it's that game or a Gen Con or another game at London RPG community, uh, but it's just got a quote from the game, which was again, quote, please hurt me game daddy. <laughs> that, yes, that was the same game. That, that was the game at heart. Uh, that, that was the game at Gen Con. Um, and this is a family stream, so we won't go into any more detail on that. But we were, we, I was, I was fulfilling some urges for the group. Let's say, <laughs> hurting them in the right way. Did you give some uh, um, uh, what's the word um, advice in uh, in heart regarding uh, safety tools uh, to? To be able to push things oh, yeah. further, but at the same time remaining safe. Yeah, like right at the beginning, we start off with like a, des- a description, a, kind of the description that we've given you, but more concise and probably better written um, about the tone of the game, like what you're looking at before you go into the rest of the book. Um, and then it immediately goes from that to Lines and Veils, talks about the X card at length. Um, it, it's, it's very important to us that nobody has a bad time playing the game. Mm. We, don't want, we don't want our game to be the fault. We can't control what happens at anybody's table, but what we can do is we can help remind people of the safety tools that they have at their disposal and that they're normal. Using the the, the safety tool is a normal thing and it is a good thing to, to use. It's not, not silly and it's not like... When I'm playing with people I've played with games with for 10 years, I have an X card. Mm. Like, I know these people. Like a lot of people go, no, we, we know each other. We don't need any of that. Yeah, you still use it because you never know. And it's like I've, I very rarely use the X card. I think I've only ever touched it like twice, maybe three times in my entire life. But it feels so much better to have it there, especially as a GM when you're sort of in charge of the tone and 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 so okay, so how gross are we getting? How 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 much are we going to mess with with players' heads? How much are we going to like? how many bones are going to burst through skin, that sort of thing, and various grim stuff, which not everyone really likes. It, it's really nice to have that safety net in place and those safe words saying, hey, giving people a codified means of saying, 
I want I, I want to keep playing, but I want this to stop. And that's that's a really cool thing to have. Mm. Uh, we are so we are fairly careful with that. We've got that right up front in the quick start on the Kickstarter. We've got the right up front in the book as well. Um, those are really important things to us because you're you're playing in quite tricky ground when you come into heart. Certainly, yeah. I and think. For me, that, sorry, sorry. For, for me, that that space in role playing games is an interesting space to challenge the weirder stuff and the stuff that does push those boundaries, because you've got safety tools, you've got often friends that you've known for a while, and it's a safe place. It's a good place to push the boundaries. But you've got to do that safely. Mm. You've got to do that in a controlled manner. And like, I mean, that's that's how it works in like BDSM communities and things like that. Like, these people are up for trying new things and seeing what their limits are. But you do it in the correct way. You don't just go, "Yeah, I reckon they'll enjoy this." Hey, no, that's <laughs> not how that works. Yeah, yeah. There's a thing I find which is often missing when you see discussions about the X card. A lot of its detractors take that as something which is restrictive, and actually, as far as I understand, the way it was brought forward in tabletop role-playing games from other practice can be live-action role-playing games or uh, adult entertainment, as you mentioned, is the opposite. It's actually to allow you to go further. So, mm-hmm. as the person in control. You you know that you can go further because you got this thing there, which is a device to be one when you've got the ability to hard stop anything. Mm. I think that the that the pushback against the X card fits into one um, anti queer things because it, it has arisen out of out of queer spaces within the role playing game and the role playing game community. It is very much so. It's a, it's a, it's a big part of of, uh, of every game that I consider to have that title. But also, I think that it uh, it takes it takes a lot of power out of the hands of the GM and in in people who have the view like the antagonistic view of the GM as kind of a, a Gnostic god, as it were, a demiurge who wants to harm the players and is uncaring and, oh, How this is my world. did you kill today? You know, oh, i got a TPK, I'll get a T-shirt about it, you know, whatever. Like, that sort of thing. Those aren't... That's, that, those are the people who are pushing against the X card because it, it takes that power away from them, and I think they feel quite threatened by the idea of that, well, I've written this adventure. I don't well, It doesn't matter if you've written the adventure. If someone doesn't like it, don't do it. Take it to a different group. It, it bothers me. It bothers me. Uh, it's not easy I mean it's, a, it's I think there's a lot of questions also which are very personal to people which may be not uh, slightly less political I mm. think there's people sometimes take that as a assumption that the communication within a group is not good as it mm. is or I mean myself I'm trying to use X cards more often I don't do it nearly often enough uh, but uh, when I pull it out with people, especially with people I'm used to play, I'm a bit embarrassed because I'm like, mm. I'm like this, this thing. I completely get that. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's not that. It's not easy, but uh, yeah, we hopefully we're getting there. It's just like putting the seatbelt when you get a car. Yeah, <laughs> and like one one good way of sort of showing how the X card can work is when the tone of the game shifts in a way that you're not not uncomfortable with, but it's not reinforcing the game. So like you're playing a World War II game, whatever, and it's been comedy for like 10 minutes and then people start checking their phones. You can actually use the X card for that. 
you can turn the head and go, hey, this is this is a thing. Um, I'm trying to do a certain tone here, mm. and what's happening is against that tone. Yeah, and not like um, I I am you know threatened or uncomfortable or it's triggering or any issue like that. You can use it in slightly more. Oh, I don't want to use the word mundane. That's the yeah. wrong word. But less you know I mean? less um, total uses. Yes, of God, I think yeah. Yeah, um, and that will sort of lift the this weird mysticism about the extra like, oh, no, I need to touch it if I'm about to cry. Mm. No. Yeah, I really like this idea. Yeah. You mentioned it uh, totally on the Hurty Dice friend, and I think you mentioned uh, other developing practice, I think, which was a green button, maybe, or amber button. And yeah, the, button. The, the, the traffic light system um, of, of green, amber, amber red, mm. of... Red is absolute stop. Nothing. Let's not. Like, like we, we need to break this scene. I need to get up and walk around. Yeah, like I need to not be here right now. Mm. Um, green is. I really like this. Let's do more of this. This what's happening right now is tops. Um, and amber is this more middle ground of pullback. So if it's um, a scene involving spiders. Like, let's maybe not do the spiders thing. Let's change them to wolves. Well, let's do this scene to go forward. Let's not talk about how awful their eyes and mandibles are. Let's just say there's spiders and move on. Yeah. And just sort of like, hey, can, can, can we can we stop? Can we slow down? And yeah, let's go full steam ahead. Hmm. The 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 uh, something which uh, Bree Sheldon has been, I think it was Bree Sheldon who came up with it, is the idea of the Y card, which sits alongside the X card. And if you really like something that's happening, you tap the Y card. It's like more, please, and that's really cool because we don't encourage each other enough as players. I don't think. Overall, there's not enough communication. Uh, I mean, in a lot of things we do, uh, we wait for things to be very bad to start talking about it, and it's often, uh, especially if there's no safety tools, uh, it's it's too late almost. Mm. I mean, too late is never, 100%. but uh, it's it's already a bit late in the in the conversation. Mm. Uh, that's why things like debriefs are good as well like at the end of a game just like what did you enjoy uh, what were the things that you really enjoyed and I can remember that and focus on that for next time what are the things you hated not just I didn't enjoy the fact the combat went on for 16 hours but like I thought it was really weird how this character did this that was kind of mm. creepy not enough for an X card but like I just like afterwards I was thinking a bit mm, should that have happened mm. and talk talk like adults to people yeah, because this like you're not, as I said again, as I said earlier, you're not professionals. You're not producing. Uh, you're not producing your author work. It's, it's, you're not George R. R. Martin making Game of Thrones. You're not doing. <laughs> you're not creating something with like it's just you and your friends making up a story. And they're as important as you are in this. And so, I think there is a again because like because the role playing games is primarily a masculine hobby, uh, or at least certainly uh, the public face of it is masculine, and within Western culture around men, there is this understanding that we shouldn't have feelings, we shouldn't talk about feelings, we shouldn't talk to each other about our feelings. And that talking about what you liked in role play and like congratulating a friend on something they did feels weird. It's like, oh, I really like that bit you did there. I'd like to see more of that. That feels kind of weird, especially for Brits. And so I think that we can like we we need to break that stigma and we need to have the capacity of just saying, Hey, I really like that. Oh, actually this wasn't my sort of thing and talk as a group because we're all grown ups. That's actually a good segue to get out of the, the topic of safety tools. <laughs> uh one of the teams of uh, the role is present is comparing uh, different cultures, European cultures to the outside world as much as we can because 
it's a bit difficult. You, you're supposed to have experienced two cultures to be able to compare that somehow. But is there anything you would think is, is inherently British in heart? When you look at it, you're like, I rewrote this bit. It's kind of British, isn't it? There's, there's certainly um, an element of futility to some things um, of like this, this never ending spiral of, well, it's only going to get worse, isn't it? <laughs> um, and that's, that's very British. Yes. It's, it's a uh, post empire British. Certainly. I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, obviously. Um, yeah. Uh, very much accepting that awful fate that you know is coming is alarmingly British. One so of the, see, one of the things like they long for it. They miss the keep calm, carry on. They want a big, catastrophe to happen uh, yeah. it's it's, tri it's tricky yeah um i think certainly the older people uh like, oh things were better back when we had a straight things were better back when we were at war with eurasia that sort of thing you know we knew where uh, we stood. i uh no that's uh, gone it's gone <laughs> oh it's my fault come on Grant. oh yes What's i remember i remember, I remember now i remember now um, uh so i was very inspired growing up by red dwarf I thought I always thought Red Dwarf was a wonderful program. Um, I, I, I viewed uh, Lister as a sort of hero, which was not a sensible decision for a, for like a twelve year old to make. Uh, and like it's not even how he's written, you know. That, that actually uh, explains a lot, but <laughs> but uh, one of my uh, one of the one of the uniquely British things that I thought about um, I thought about uh, Red Dwarf was the fact that no one was good at their jobs. Everyone was terrible and they all hated each other and they were all stuck together and they had this they had this enormous universe to explore and they'd stay at home and watch the same videos and eat the same food. And it was very human in that way. It wasn't like 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 ha having Americans make Red Dwarf is far much it's like you, you can see it would end up much more like supernatural in that way. It's like, oh here's a monster of the week, boys, let's go kill it with guns. And they kill things with guns. They had the what are they called blasters? Bazookoids. 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 Um, they had all that, but they were fundamentally terrible and they hated each other. And I tried to take that idea of, well, we're, we're here now, we might as well stick together into every game I write. And I think Chris channels some of that too. Oh, for and sure. Yeah, like, I, I refer to it in my head as charming competence. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's, it's complete inability to do what you're designed for, but you have fun, right? Which is and which is like that really came out when I did uh, Paranoia a few years ago as well. That really that really shows up there. And I think heart characters are certainly competent, but misfortune is so total. It is very codified and very not cruel, but but colourful. Mm, and there is an element of like, oh man, I really wish I had two working arms. That sort of thing, I think. And you're all you're always down your luck. You're always on the back foot, and that's a much more exciting story for for us. It almost reminds me of a grim fantasy version of. I remember this, this comedy. I think it was a short series. I think they made two of them. What was it? What's the name of this actor? It was about a wedding. He was having his wedding, and it's just problems piling onto problems. Uh, I think it was with Rob Brydon. I don't I know. Like one series with Rob Brydon. One thing I called one day. Like, but a farce in something. Do you think, or is it like a like a like, or just watching one person getting continually messed up. Yeah, sort of, yeah. yeah that's I Chris's mean, favourite like, genre of film. Yeah, like, <laughs> things like Peep Show, if you watch, if you're watching. 
Right. It's like normal people doing normal things and failing utterly. Mm. <laughs> I love. But like to, to get into a place where, where you're like, oh, I really love this character. I hope they don't succeed. <laughs> that's the, that's where you have to sort of be. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things which which I'm really proud with with Heart, and I think Spire as well, but more so in Heart, is that people are really excited to get Fallout. People are really excited to have problems land on their character. And every mm. time a character has died, the player's been like, yeah, let's do this right. Come on, everyone watch this. This is going to be great. And that's, I think, that we've it's written a game story, where we... Right? Yeah, it's a great story. We want to tell a good story. All we're doing is writing machines to tell stories with. And this one happens to be about dying. <laughs> it's definitely a thread you can find. I mean, I I'm, I had the privilege of game mastering uh, uh, Jason Satan Big Vacation, and I've seen the video. It was majestic. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, it was. I mean, yeah, you you didn't want the group to succeed because it's it's kind of the most boring outcome you could mm. find uh, in the game. And uh, yeah, I guess with uh, sexy battle wizards and. Most of your one-page games, it's it's sort of the the common uh, denominator. Mm. Yeah, like there's there's two there's two win win states in games that I really like, and one is almost succeeding but failing, and the other is failing utterly. <laughs> and I like <laughs> to feel like win states. Yeah, I like you to get to that point in the story, and going, oh, we nearly did it. Excellent. Oh, what done. happens now? Yeah, <laughs> or just completely messing it up, just going so wrong in this just like Acme brand complete comedy of errors. Do you think we'd and play go- more fiasco, wouldn't you? Sorry, you think we'd play more fiasco? Seeing as that's a game about that, you'd think. But we like we like it. We like a, a slightly more degree of structure. You like a game with mechanics in, yeah? Something really, <laughs> something really rogue. Like that. <laughs> don't don't get me wrong. I like I like fiasco. It's like it's a great mm-hmm. game. But like I I I kind of crave a little bit of, of structure from my yeah. laser launcher. You really hold one of your hands. It's like you're reading my mind. You're providing me with the best segue because I was wondering about heart. So you got all those one-page RPGs on one mm. hand and which give a lot of freedom to the game master and the players to come together with a story. And then you got heart, which seems significantly more complex. Mm-hmm. What what makes you choose one versus the other when you've got an idea for a setting, for a type of adventures? Why do you do ones which are just one page and ones which are much longer with heart? What What's the motivation? So, to some degree, it's how complicated a story do we want to tell? Um, for instance, if you, you, you talk about Jason Statham's Big Vacation, that's not a complicated story. That it's is Jason a busy on story. Ho- it's a busy story, but it's Jason's on holiday with a lot of cocaine. Make it a good holiday. Um, that's it. There's there's no there's no like background motivations. There's nothing like that. But for things like Spire and Heart, we wanted to tell more complicated, more structured arcs with narrative. And we find that if we do very very rules light, which you do with one pages, it gets off track. It's very hard to keep everything um, at pace. Whereas if you have a, a level of rules to structure that round, then you can tell these, these far-reaching stories, these, these wonderful epics. Um, so we end up just doing heart and letting it run right, right on one setting. I think also like a lot of the ideas that we get for one-page role-playing games are silly, 
like they're daft and they couldn't be sustained for more than about four pages. At that point, you lose the joke. At that, at that point, or like at that point, cool. I understand this. Like it's a, it's a telling fairly limited stories, uh, and so that lets me get a lot of let, let, lets me off a lot of steam. And the sort, like the sort of ideas which Chris will just smack out of my mouth if I try and put them in one of our serious oh, games, yeah. we can we can we can include in a in a in a in a shorter game. But here, fifteen uh, percent of my job is telling Grant he's an idiot. That's that's <laughs> that's cruel. No, it is cruel. I'm sorry. I, I do take that back. But it's, I think I think perhaps um, over enthusiastic rather than an idiot. I'll just fire off ideas about what if it was an owl doing a different crime? You can only do that so many times. Haven't done geese yet. Haven't no, done geese, geese, mate. And Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Well, they couldn't do the. I've done Grand. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, we got we got a couple of questions in the the chat room. I'm aware that we're getting close to the all set time. Uh, we got Geku, who not only says that he played or is she or they played uh, Spire last week and they had a lot of fun. Awesome. awesome. And they are asking if the sales of Spire has been good slash encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like, usually. You're rich. Um, <laughs> you, you parked your own yacht just next to Matthew Mercer's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, um, so pre-Spire, I was jobless and just sort of knocking about the place looking for jobs. Um, but post-Spire and doing things like the one pages and all of the follow-up products of Spire, this is now my full-time job. It's our full-time job. Yeah, Congratulations. We, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Like this is, this is how we earn a living. Um, Mary Hamilton, the business side of our company, um, has done wonderful things on the back end, yeah. absolutely astonishing things. Um, and it, it's been going very well. We sell a lot of, of Spire. Um, and there's a lot of people asking us for more bits, which is quite I think nice. The most encouraging thing, um, like, so yeah, we've, we've sold a fair amount of books. We haven't quite broken into America yet. We're interested in, in getting over there next year. We're setting up some deals with um, distributors. But the thing which has been most encouraging is seeing people take Spire and say, yes, I love this bit. This is the bit that I'm changing, and so I'll turn up on the Discord and say, "Well, all my knights ride. All my knights ride giant koi. Go!" And they'll they'll take something and they'll 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 write additional information. Like, oh, I've got this idea for a pub. I've got this idea for a class. I've got this idea for a wizard. And everyone's just putting in their own versions of Spire. It's beautiful to see. It's so it's so exciting uh, to have that, a community. That's one of the things that we right from the beginning we were really keen on is mm. that at no point. Will you have one of your players go, uh, no, you're wrong, actually. They don't live here. They live over here. Like like in Forgotten Realms, you can say, no, actually, Waterdeep's not next to that town mm. because there's there's maps and there's tons of like fairly solid setting. And we didn't want any of that. There's no way to be wrong with the canon inspire. No. So the maps, the maps we have aren't canon, I want to stress. Sorry? The maps we have aren't canon. Yeah, and um, the entire... Discord has a huge community document. I've made up this random nonsense. And it's fantastic. They've done some wonderful things. And it's all about building on that. And it's great fun. I've got a mean little question. Uh, and it's kind of tied to breaking uh, out in the US. Um, no, I mean, it's a mean really little question, but I think it can sprout interesting answers. Why isn't there a fifth edition version of Heart? <laughs> <laughs> I 
because that the the rules and setting into my mind should always be intertwined mm-hmm. the rules should rely on the setting and the setting should inform the rules mm-hmm. and if we just took what we have and bunged it in fifth edition it would be a bad game mm. it would be a weaker version for it now um, you could hack it in you could buy my heart and say, "Oh, this, this. I'm using uh, fighter rules for this Missy and Knight. I'm using wizard rules for this junk mage." You could do it if you want, but it won't be as good. Yeah, like it, it, you get this beautiful feedback of taking stress and then taking fallout, and then taking more stress and more fallout, and like it's not a death spiral because that's actually impossible in the game, which is quite neat. Um, but death power. Everything- yeah, everything informs everything else, and the moves and the actions that you do in the game build setting on top of what already exists. Mm. And the setting that you remember, the setting that you really like, can inform how your actions will go. So it, they aren't—they aren't really separable, to my mind. Mm. That's why we did the something called the Resistance Toolbox, which was a stripped out—we stripped out the setting from the Resistance system. And we couldn't just do it like an SRD, like you do with 5th edition. It's essentially us putting out how we made powers and then putting in some suggestions and saying good luck. Yeah. It's It's difficult, but some people have done some wonderful ones like Ascendancy, Scavengers of Ruse, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, Uh, Chris McDowell did Bent Coppers. Yep. Which is great. There's, all, there's also some people doing wonderful things with the resistance system, and it's telling different stories. And also, I think that there isn't really room in the market for another 5e setting because everyone's got one. Yeah, you know, if it's anything like actual play 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons, you might think that the market is clogged, but actually, the demand is still exceeding it. You'd be there's a lot. Saying, there's a lot there, but no, we are. For fifth, ed, for fifth ed campaign setting, you're like, oh, cool, 100 grand. That mm. would be nice. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think like we could do it. We could write in for third, like we could do that. But I, but you got principles. Yeah, I'm an artist. Damn it! No, I don't want to tell specific types of stories. Yeah, it doesn't excite me. It doesn't. It doesn't get me going. Um, and I, I run. I run D and D. I've got, I've got a Thursday night group of D and D. We write, we play every fortnight. And I've been forbidden from touching dice or looking at the rules because <laughs> it, it, just, it just slows things down. It's the way, really, doesn't it? Mm. Need to invite me uh, to one of your your game. <laughs> uh, I f- yeah, we, I think sadly we're coming to the close of this show. Um, maybe as a closer, can you repeat again what are the dates for Heart when it starts, when it's over, and maybe say a few things already about the, the pledges level and the goals you have in mind. Yeah, sure. So Heart's the plug kick- time. It's plug time. Art's going to go live on September the 17th, which is very soon. That is in nine days. At time ah. of the you can, uh, you can, if you're interested in doing, in, in learning about it, you can go to rrdgames.com and that will, you can sign up to, that, that'll take you to our fancy proper website. You can sign up to our newsletter there so you can stay in touch. You can also follow me on Twitter or on Kickstarter. Uh, if you search for Grant Howitt, you'll find me. I'm the one who designs games rather than the one who's an investor in Jersey. And um, we've got some interesting flash levels. That we've got we've got um, we've got normal edition, which is great. Like by normal, we mean 
excellently produced, beautiful, rich colours, printed in England, bound in England, uh, all all managed to make these wonderful, sturdy products which will last you a lifetime and lots of repeated play sessions. Then we've got the special edition, which is quarter-bound in leather with cloth with foil-embossed uh, heart on the cover. Uh, and then we've got what we're calling the extreme edition, which I believe we're making 15. Extreme, which uh, which are the handbound leather books uh, bound by women bookbinders up in Barbican, uh, people who did the all the props for the Harry Potter films. By handbound, oh. you mean they bound? Yes, yes. yes. Uh, we, we, we're going to have gonna, a very latch mole code. Yeah, yeah. It's made from the from the left hands of murderers. Uh, no, it's uh, that would be cool. It wouldn't. No, it's just made. It's made from. I think it's made from cows. Uh, but we, uh, they're gonna, they're gonna be hand bound. Uh, you can get them distressed or not distressed. Um, the w- women bookbinders said they would not distress the books, but they would tell us how to do it. Which means <laughs> you want to hit well, your book with a hammer. I'm not going to give you a gun, but I am going to tell you how to fire it. <laughs> uh, we've got. If you're interested in getting involved in the setting of heart, you can make a you can make a haven or a landmark by backing at high level. You can uh, adopt one of the monsters uh, to make sure that there's art drawn of it, and you'll be credited in the book for that. If you want to help pad out the book in that way, but every. Every stretch goal, everything about the Kickstarter is feeding back into the main product, is making the book better, is making the... Um... Oh, there's the map as well. A map. Um, yeah. yeah. With blanks, I hope. Yeah, All blanks. Blank sections on like a, a sort of hex grid <laughs> it's, it's a, drawn version of the yeah, heart. It yeah. is a beautifully illustrated blank map. Much like the one behind me, actually. Uh, so this, this, this is by Garn Peugeot. This is uh, the Golden Sea. So that's a blank map which you fill up as as, as you play, uh, which is a one-page role-playing game of mine, which we did a big map for. Uh, the heart is something similar, but because this is a full proper Kickstarter project, it's an eighteen by eighteen fold-out uh, like a, like a board game board with with gaps on it. We have stickers which you can put through, uh, which, you, which you can stick on there, and they're sort of defined by landmark, uh, defined by domain, and so you have your own map of the heart which you build and then you can come back to that and try and explore through it with different parties and sort of see how it changes and how it updates as you go on uh that will be available so you can play the game without that uh but it helps play the game and so i think we've got i think it's like 15 15 quid and you get, I don't know the exact yeah. numbers. Don't know the exact number at the moment. You can get it in on. case it's fire um, or and it comes with uh it comes with all the stickers you need as well yeah, I feel I should state that it is a core rule book, so you don't actually need anything else to play. You yeah. just buy the book, off you go, that'll do you. Yeah. Uh, if you happen to have Spire or any of the stuff for Spire, that will help inform the game. It mm-hmm. is, they're not rule supplements. Not at all. This is its own standalone thing. Very different. Cool. Uh, when did you say the Kickstart is, campaign is finishing? Because... I'm in a temp job. I hope it turns permanent, but before then, I cannot pledge. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a month long, so it'll be on the 17th of October. Damn. My tryout um, is three months long. Well, well, don't worry. We're like, we will have pre-orders open until, until we go to print, basically. So we're looking at keeping pre-orders open until like March, February, March next year. So cool. you'll be able to get it on the ground. And also, it will be in shops. But this is all, this is all presuming the Kickstarter funds. I really hope it funds. Not sure how um, it funds because yeah. I like these things up here. These lights, I like yeah. to those on, and the food you've eaten. <laughs> yeah, on your back. Yeah, they're all very good. So yes, um, if you are interested in body horror, if you're interested in us, um, actually, if you're interested in us, you can listen to Hearty Dice Friends. If you go to yeah. soundcloud.com 
forward slash hearty dice friends. You get to hear me and Chris do this for an hour a week. Yeah. yeah. But without Weird. but without this sort of like we're not promoting anything on Hearty Dice Friends. We're very well, much can, just I found out you can find it as a, a sort of weird way for self promotion because I suggest to you Grant some ideas for a game then you'd say the name of my show and then Chris complains that I do it only for the exposure. I know, yeah. 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 You're a mercenary. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll, we'll plug anything as long as it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's the key. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great cool show. I really recommend to check it, it out. It is Thank very you. silly. You can come and like, just listen to like, we, we, we do game design, we do game, game of device and stuff. And we can, we can t- basically, you can, we can show you our working. For, I mean, uh, for the like Nigella Lawson, uh, Great British Breakup, which mm. someone mentioned in the chat room, uh, that's the place to go because all the obscure British celebrities will be uh, mentioned. And, I'd, uh, yeah, I'd say at least once, out, one out of every two episodes, we go on quite a long bit about Celebrity Chef. Mm-hmm. We're really big on those. Why is chefs, but it is. Ah, they're just they're just they're easy. Uh, so yes, uh, if you like us, you can go listen to that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at gshowitt. It's gs howard underneath your picture. Oh yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Chris, I presume, also at his one, which is underneath it his is. picture, and, and the Madigan. Um, and also, uh, please, if you like the sound of it, come along, back us on Kickstarter. We are we do, we are not a big publisher. We are not like we're not Monty Cook. We don't have the capacity to produce mysterious cubes. We are scrappy. We are a startup. And we found this show. We are um, we are scrappy, and we rely on crowdfunding. We rely on things like this getting the word out, and on people like you who are backing it, talking about it. So, if you are interested, please come and look back at support indie RPGs and uh, give us your delicious money. <laughs> Well, I look forward. It would be sadly a bit too early to have a, a physical copy, I assume, at Dragon Meat in November, but I'm sure you will. Uh, yeah, it will be. Uh, but yeah. We might have the quick start by that point, actually. I don't know. We'll see. We should, we should have the quick start ready for that. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Uh, I hope, let me uh, invite you both to a little event I am organizing in London. That would be great to have you. I'm organizing the Rollis Presents, going to have its first live panels we can uh, assist to two panels in person it will be at dungeons and dragons for mental health and will take place on october 20 at bad moon cafe in Southwark. so yeah please come all awesome. you can play dungeons and dragons in the morning the session will be organized by london rpg community you can come to the panels in the afternoon or you can come Four drinks in the evening, or you can come with your baby yelling like me. <laughs> they seem quite excited. Yeah. 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 You're going to throw some dice. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, uh, that should be quite cool. I hope to have Mary soon to a panel uh, already, mm-hmm. maybe in November, something about Kickstarter. She's, she's got a, from what I heard, terrific experience running uh, Kickstarter camping. She's doing all the work, right? You just did the oh, product. Yeah. I know she, she's in charge, right? Yeah. <laughs> Mary, Mary has a terrifyingly large brain and yeah. thankfully organizes our company. Mary is Mary is an astonishing human being and has a great grasp of business and spreadsheets and numbers. And we're quite good at writing role-playing games. That's about where I stand on that. Yeah. Mm. I, I cannot wait to interview her. It will be uh, potentially in November because in, Octo- in October we won't have a 
the release present on Twitch because it will be replaced by the live one, but it will be published Wonderful. at a later date. I look forward so to hearing the talk. Thank you so much, Chris and Grant, for joining the Rollist Present. Uh, yeah, see you around on the internet. Thanks, everyone, in the chat room for your questions. Your yeah, thank you, everybody. Yeah, thank you. See you soon. Bye. Bye. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Rollist Present. As a reminder, the Rollist Present will have two sides. First, it will be a monthly show stream on Twitch and focus on the RPG scene in London, the United Kingdom, and Europe. Second, and that's where it gets interesting, it will be a series of live events, driven by a same spirit of community within the hobby. The very first of these will be two panels at the Rollis Presents Dungeons and Dragons for Mental Health. It will take place in London at Bad Moon Cafe on October 20th. Please find a link to the Facebook event in the description of this episode. This fundraising for the mental health charity Mind is jointly organized by the Rollis Podcast and the following all-star team. First, it is sponsored by the Roleplay Heaven. The London RPG community will lead the organization of Dungeons and Dragons play sessions in the morning. And finally, World Anvil will be there to celebrate their anniversary. The event will take place all day with the following activities. There will be fundraising all day with different contests. From 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., there will be organized D&D tables. Please keep an eye on our website and the Facebook event to keep track of opportunities to book your seat at one of these tables. From 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., there will be the two Derolis Present panels dedicated first to mental health as part of RPG clubs and live events, and second, mental health as part of online role-playing communities. And finally, at 4 p.m., we will have a social gathering, which will be a celebration of World Anvil's anniversary. I am very proud to organize this event, and I look forward to meeting a lot of you there.